Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Well, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, who is the News Bureau Chief here at WFIU and at WTIU. 44% of the honeybee colonies were lost last year. People across Indiana are working to support the bee population with hives in their backyard. Not only do these hives support the ecosystem, they can provide added benefits as well. This week, uh, today, here on Noon Edition, we're going to be discussing all things bees. So we have uh, four guests with us in the studio today. Roger Lee is a local beekeeper. Kayla Miller is a graduate assistant in the Newton Lab at Indiana University. Kathleen Pro is the chief apiary inspector for the Department of Natural Resources. And uh, also Jennifer Bland is here. She's the owner of the Virtuous Bee. If you want to join the program, you can call us at 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So it's great to have all four of you in the studio. We frequently have guests on the phone, but it's great to have all four of you here so we can look you in the eye and (laughs) talk about uh, whatever we want to talk about that has to do with with bees. This is a really broad topic, you know, from um, I know we've had a lot of stories in the newspaper in the last several years and and Sarah has had here on the the radio about you know the the vast importance of bees sort of in the world ecosystem, and then you know of course people see bees all over and they do a lot of things in in people's backyards. So, so let's I want to talk with to Kayla first. Uh, the Newton Lab. What is a Newton Lab? <laughs> oh, that's my uh, advisor's name, Irene uh-huh. Newton, Doctor Irene Newton. Uh-huh. So I'm a PhD candidate at the university there. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on my PhD actually looking at the gut microbiome of honeybees. So the bacteria that actually live inside the honeybee gut. Uh-huh. Okay. So this sort does this go into the and the, this global picture of bees and the, what what happens when there's a loss of a bee colony? You know, what's the importance of bees and the research you're doing? So yeah, we're really trying to understand, you know, how microbial communities can really influence the host. So we're trying to think of the health of the host and how it's interacting with the microbial community. Um, mm-hmm. And then some of the losses can be from diseases that are, you know, caused by microbial members. Um, but really, we're actually looking at healthy hives and the mm-hmm. healthy microbiome of the bees. Okay, good. So why why should we all be worried when we hear that, you know, bees are in trouble, you know, in a, as a worldwide situation? Well, the biggest Kathleen, thing yeah. is, um, I'll speak up. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I always say um, 80% of pollination is done by honeybees. We can move the hives from crop to crop, and that's why we can do it. There's um, Most other bees are solitary bees. They have their nest, and they go and pollinate. They, you cannot move them, but we can move honeybees' hives from crop to crop. Mm-hmm. And that's what the commercial guys, commercial beekeepers do, is mm-hmm. move them from crop to crop. So that we can yeah. have food. Food, yes. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, food, right. our vegetables, our fruit, uh-huh. all your fruits. Okay. You know, think of, I always say here in Indiana, it's strawberries, blueberries, apples, peaches, pears, um, even plums. Mm-hmm. A watermelon, we do a lot of watermelon in the um, Vincennes area. Mm-hmm. Everybody forgets about watermelons, how much yeah, we right. do down there, and melons. Mm-hmm. So they're important okay. for that. Right. And then for um, hobby beekeepers, um, I always say, if you got a garden, you want a beekeeper nearby, so they come to your garden and pollinate your fruits and, and vegetables you got in your garden. Mm-hmm. And people have seen a difference mm-hmm. with having a beekeeper nearby, that their vegetables are so much better. So if you're out looking for a place and you want to have a garden, you should make sure you live close to a beekeeper. Beekeeper. All right. Start it up. Start Roger, where do you live? Up. No, I, that's okay. <laughs> I provide a lot of bees to a lot of people. I have a lot, a lot of swarms. So uh, I'm good about talking about swarms but not preventing them. Uh-huh. So how so how did you get involved in uh, beekeeping? Uh, I, I retired a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and I decided I needed to find some ways to spend my time and my money. <laughs> 
and I've accomplished both with, with honeybees as, as one of them. So uh-huh. I started out with two hives uh, three years ago. This is my third year. And uh, one of them made it through the winter, and I decided, well, I'm going to have some more. So now I've got three, and then I, now I've got five, and I think i got to put a stop to it here pretty quick. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, but it is time-consuming. and, and uh, very enjoyable. All right. And I want to ask Jennifer first about the virtuous bee. Yeah. What is that? Well, it's a it's a business that uh-huh. I just started that has natural skin care um, mm-hmm. using beeswax and honey. Uh-huh. That's central to all the products that I use. Mm-hmm. And my mentor brought me this big chunk of beeswax and asked if I could do something with it. And I tinkered around in the kitchen a little bit and lo and behold i found some some liquid gold <laughs> uh-huh. so are you a beekeeper too i am uh-huh. yeah right, uh, right. yeah it, so. it all just kind of came together i retired as a hairstylist mm-hmm. from after 25 years and so i had a little bit of a background use, using products and things like mm-hmm. that and so i had an interest there and when i got pregnant i kind of got weird about chemicals yeah so it kind of just naturally fell into place after i retired you know, I had this passion for bees, and then I had this beeswax, and it all just kind of came together, and I've got this product line now mm-hmm. using very minimally processed, very few ingredients, but all quality. Okay. So I wanted to ask Kathleen, but we've been hearing a lot about this decline in bees, and you mentioned moving these beekeepers around, but is that something we used to do, or is that something that we've just started because of the decline in bees? Uh, no, there's been commercial beekeepers um, since way back. Uh, when, when the roads got better, yes, there's more, you know, I'd say since the 60s, we've had commercial beekeepers moving from um, different states. But um, we're a small we're mostly all hobby beekeepers here. We got a couple commercial guys, and they even ship them all the way out to California for the almonds to pollinate that. That's the biggest crop that needs the most hives is the almonds in California, and that's the only place where they're they're um, grown is a California in the valley. It's the only place they can grow in the United States, mm-hmm. and um, so we got beekeepers from all over the United States moving them out there, and then they'll be moving back throughout the states <clears throat> yeah but you know commercial wise they've been doing it a long time yes okay second so I, third generations so yeah. i i have to bring this up because you know i ask all the dumb questions i guess and yeah. introduce the dumb topics but i, I kind of you, you all four of you seem like you're really interested and really passionate about bees and i come from this side where when i was growing up i was afraid of them <laughs> and i mean are there are there sort of this is there this divide of people that love bees and love everything about them and then people that are like i'm going to avoid them at all costs i think it's based on how much you know about them once mm-hmm. you get to know they're really docile they don't want to sting you because if they do they die yeah. and if if they by chance they do sting you usually it's your fault and if it happens it really doesn't hurt as bad as you think it does it feels like somebody may have pulled a hair mm-hmm. and that's that's about it yeah. I've kind of, I've grown out of most of it. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Bad memories as a child. Yeah. I think when people see a swarm or see bees in their house, one of their first reactions is to call an exterminator. Yeah. And one of the things we try to really publicize and get out to the public is please don't do that. Or if you call an exterminator, ask them for somebody who is on a swarm call list or something like that who yeah. will come and safely and and uh, come and remove the bees and put them somewhere where they won't be bothering anybody and they'll be productive. Uh, the last thing we want to see is to have somebody spray themselves or have an exterminator come in and kill a bunch of bees, unless it's just absolutely necessary. Sometimes they're in buildings and things like that where cutouts yeah. really aren't practical or possible, but generally uh, you can get at them and have them safely removed instead of killing them. Well, I'm curious. Uh, Roger came to the Herald Times recently. We had a swarm in our parking lot. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we have an outdoor section. We have a bunch of people that understand, you know, what you're supposed to do. And so we weren't about to exterminate them. But people wanted, you know, they were right around where people are parking. People were concerned. So, Roger, when you get a call like that, I mean, what what do you do? And and how many bees were out there that day? Well... It's kind of interesting. I think I was the third person there, actually. There was one person who came and observed the swarm, and it at that time it kind of took off, and he couldn't catch it. It was pretty high up. 
And then they came back, and I think somebody else got a call, and, and some lady, I don't know who it was, came out and got the majority of them. And then by the time I got there, I was kind of third pickings. And there was... I no don't offense. Know, maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. There's there probably a football-sized cluster there left. So I left good. a little nuke box out there with some... Uh, frames in it and some swarmler and uh, a lot of the bees went in there overnight and I came back and picked them up and combined them with another bunch of bees I had and then they took off and they're doing nicely. I have to ask though what it what is a swarm? Well a swarm is the bees natural reproduction method so that's how they expand and increase their numbers so the the bees there's certain stimuli i think that that well, happen when the, mainly when the, the queen gets overcrowded she has yeah. no more room to lay right. so that's why i tell people if you give that queen room to lay in the spring so she doesn't swarm mm-hmm. yeah. and then so the queen happens? takes off yes well the queen, the queen takes off of and the, the bad part is not only do you lose your queen but you lose about half of your hive as well they go wither and start a new colony They'll hang in that tree like at your at Herald Times building, and then eventually they'll send scouts out and they'll find a new home and they'll leave from there and take off and populate the, their their new uh, house. house. So uh, uh, they don't stay there a long time. They don't maybe what three hours to three days they yeah. say something yeah, like that, that yeah. typically. We can get them uh, early enough. Yeah. So when you get a call, my first question is how high is it? Because. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to climb 50 feet up in a tree at, <laughs> yeah. at this point and break my neck. Yeah. Uh, but ho- usually, a lot of times, they're fairly low. Yeah, I'm, I've known some people that got cherry pickers to get up the high ones, yeah. Yeah. to get yeah. close to them. But the higher they are, it's harder they, you can get them. Mm-hmm. And that, and, um, it sounds like it's yeah. probably not necessary either, but they're going to leave. Well, we point. can, as he said, he put the nuke down on the ground, uh-huh. so you kind of lure them. We use a um, swarm lure somewhat to... Um, to lure them down here, here, girls. Here's a good place to come, uh-huh. and hopefully they come down there and visit the the nuke box, as we call it. It's just a small nucleus hive, is what it is, mm-hmm. and make that their home. Then we can take them away. Mm-hmm. And that, but if 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 they're low enough, we can knock them into the box and take them that mm-hmm. time. But we have to get that queen is a big thing. When we we get mm-hmm. a swarm, you gotta get the queen because otherwise they'll just leave. And go back to the location mm-hmm. and find someplace else. If you want to join our conversation today, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Looks like we have a phone call already, Sarah. Yeah. So. Bruce is on yeah. the line. And Bruce has a question about pesticides, I think. Yeah, Bruce, go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, with the... Uh, uh, gas could address the uh, whole uh, problem. I uh, get stuff from various environmental groups and they act like uh, there's a major crisis with uh, uh, hive death. And I've been asked to sign petitions and send letters to ban, I believe it's called neonicotine uh, pesticides. And uh, for a while there, they were talking about mites. So if uh, the guest could uh, comment on this, I'd be very grateful. Okay. okay. All right, Kathleen, go ahead. Um, it's neonicotinoids, and um, what we have a problem with is um, they are very deadly to bees. They are coating corn and soybean seeds with the neonicotinoids. And the biggest problem is with corn planting. When they plant the corn, the dust behind it has that neonicotinoid in it, and if a bee flies through it, it dies. And if it drifts over to the hive, a lot of your foraging bees die. And it's that, that you know, insecticide that dies. And, and so that's the biggest thing we have to worry about is when corn planting. We don't have as much problem when they plant soybeans, but some guys have had um, bee death with uh, soybeans. It doesn't kill the hive right out, you know, the whole hive dies, but it kills all your foraging bees, and those are the ones going out and bringing food back to the hive so the hive can get weak, and if it's weakened enough, it can die. And we worry about the pollen, too, with the pesticides in the pollen, pesticides in the nectar even with that spray. And they're just using more pesticides uh, everywhere. They are starting to... Um, Lowe's and Home Depot are starting not to carry neonicotinoids because of this issue. Not pl- the plants they're getting in, they don't want them 
um, treated the, uh, with neonicotinoids. Neonicotinoids, the plant takes it up. And if the plant has it all the way through the whole plant, we worry if the neonicotinoids in that pollen and nectar the bees are carrying are, are taken back to the hive. That's what our worry is. Mm -hmm. That's why they want to somewhat ban it. Europe banned it a couple years ago, um, several years ago, really. And that's their big thing because they were seeing bee deaths because of the neonicotinoid. Okay. We got another question here. Somebody wondering what the difference between native pollinators and honeybees. <laughs> well, honeybees are not native. Mm -hmm. And um, they will um, never, I always tell people, they will never be on an endangered species list because they're not native to the United States. Mm -hmm. They were brought over from Europe is what they were brought over. Our native pollinators, there's um, over 400 native bees in Indiana. And we worry about them also because they're losing habitat areas. Your bumblebees, um, are, uh, several of them are ground um, nesting bees. The bumblebees make a nest, so there's a colony. Most of all the solitary bees, I mean bees are solitary. They all make their own little hole in the ground and lay eggs and take care of their little bit of brood they have, a little bit of bees they, they uh, produce. And that, so um, we just worry about loss of habitat and loss of food for them, too. That's the same thing with the butterflies. All our pollinators we're worried about. And butterflies is another one we're worried about. Monarchs, you might be sure about monarch mm -hmm. problems. I'm thinking this person might be asking yeah. about what's the difference between like having bees here pollinate something rather than take them via, a, you know. Well, there's an orchard bee that we call an orchard bee. It's active only in the spring, and it's good for orchard, you know, apples, tree, apple trees, your orchard trees. But it won't be active all year long. They're just active a couple months, and then they go dormant the rest of the year is what the thing is. And then there's other bees that are, are out all, all season long, all summer, and then they go dormant winter wise. You know, it's mm -hmm. you know, honeybees will are in a big colony. They are awake and moving in the wintertime. The rest of the bee, um, native bees, kind of go dormant, to hibernate through hibernation, and then wake up mm -hmm. and start over. Is the thing. All right. So, do, do all of you have hives? Then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, I think so, so, um, yeah. Kayla, so talk about you know your your first hive. I mean, what have you learned since you got your first hive? Well, I was think, thinking back when you were saying that people yeah. being afraid of bees. Yeah. So you know, I hear they're really docile, but of course, the first time I went out, I was also kind of still terrified. <laughs> yeah. But it's totally true; they're really, really docile creatures, mm -hmm. and, and especially so we caught a swarm, swarm recently too, and it's kind of cool to be in like mm -hmm. a cloud of bees and like slightly terrified, but you know they're not actually going to do anything <laughs> with a suit on though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but yeah, they're really they're really beautiful and, and lovely creatures, and, uh -huh. and it's so cool to, Fun be able to, to watch. work with them. Yeah, yeah. Fun yeah. To watch. yeah. 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 So, so we have three hives north of campus that we uh -huh. get to take care of and use for our research. So how do you take care of them? What do you do? Uh, mostly we just feed them, um, check on them, make sure they have enough space so they don't swarm. Um, we don't actually take any of their products. We don't take uh, their honey or anything yeah. from them. So mm -hmm. we just kind of make sure they stay alive. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So and, and if they don't have enough space, then what do you do? You separate parts. Yes. Yeah, so you them? can oh. add boxes on top, extra nice, frames gotcha. for them to build their homes on, um, or you can yeah split yeah. the hive. We've done that as well, yeah. um, and kind of build up their their space that they can have. Okay. So Jennifer, how do you take care of yours? Because you're using product, right? Well, I'm using. I'm hoping to expand my apiary to the point where I can use just mine and keep it self-sustainable. Right now I'm using it from Hunter's Honey. I guess. Um, I baby my bees in a big way. They're my children. I talk to them. I'll rescue them if they fall into the pool. I'll take them and blow them off and put them in my little apiary. Um, but, yeah, same thing, bee management. You just check them one or two times a week and make sure they have everything they need. And Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just I, love you know, them. Like, like I said, I'm asking the dumb questions. So, what's everything they need? I mean, for a bee, what? What? Well, they don't really. They yeah. don't really need a whole lot. They're okay. pretty self-sustaining. They're in one way. There's you know thousands of them, but it, you can also look at them as one organism. One sort of organism. Yeah, and yeah. they work together like a well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. It's the most amazing process. We have a lot to learn about humanity by watching the bees yeah. help each uh, other. Yeah. 
Kathleen, did you um, sound like, well, looks like you bees, want to add? Well, what bees yeah. need is, what all bees need is pollen. That's a protein source and nectar. Most of the solid, solitary bees, they're after the pollen mostly. That's mm -hmm. what they feed their young. The honeybees will collect the honey and the pollen. Pollen is, as I said, is a protein source for to feed the larva stage of the bee and also um, for the adults. But the um, honey is for they have enough food for the winter. You always hear about ants storing enough food for right. to make it through the winter. Same with honeybees. They have to store enough food for the winter. And, that, okay. and that's the main thing we, we watch in the spring. Um, right now, May was a good um, honey honey season, really. <clears throat> they build up. Um, I already took off honey off a couple yeah. of my hives. I did, too. I yeah. got 50 pounds, yeah. believe it or not. So. Yeah. I didn't get that much, but <laughs> I had one swarm. That's why. So yeah. did the honey locust bloom this year? Yeah. Oh, it, uh, the black locust. It's the okay. black locust. Everybody says honey locust. It's black it's locust. It's, um, it's not native really to Indiana. It's kind of an invasive tree in a way. It's a weak tree, too. But black mm -hmm. locust, um, when it's in bloom, you can smell it, and the bees love it. Tulip poplar is another one that's blooming right yeah. now that the bees will go to. Mm -hmm. And then we're waiting for some of the wildflowers to start. See, your native bees will go to your native wildflowers, but honeybees will also visit them. And okay. that, that's a big thing. You, you want flowers in your yard, you're going to get bees probably <laughs> and butterflies and all the native bees. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to take a short break. Uh, okay. we're, talking, we're talking about all things uh, that are related to bees today on uh, Noon Edition. We have four guests with us in the studio. I'll, I'll reintroduce them right after we take, the, take this short break. You're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. We're talking about bees today and uh, honeybees and native bees and all sorts of issues about bees and anything that you want to talk about about bees today with, with four guests. Jennifer Bland, the owner of The Virtuous Bee, Roger Lee, a local beekeeper, Kathleen Pro. Chief Apiary Inspector for the DNR, and Kayla Miller is a graduate assistant in the Newton Lab at Indiana University. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. During the break, we were talking more about bee swarms and whether those are a good or a bad thing, but it looks like... The decision is is mixed here. Yeah. Um, can you can you explain sort of what's going on? Yeah, it's good and bad. I think if you're uh, looking for free bees, it's a good thing if you can catch them. If you're the beekeeper the bees came from, it may not be so good. Um, one of the good things about swarms, I think, is we the first caller I think uh, talked about varroa a little bit, and I don't know if we discussed that. We could probably spend the whole hour talking about varroa mites if we wanted, but. They're a big problem, and probably the number one problem, I think, of, uh, of bees uh, nationwide or maybe worldwide. I don't know. Um, and one of the things a swarm does, it interrupts the uh, cycle, the breeding cycle of the bees. The varroa mite gets uh, into the uh, capped larva of the bee and infects the larva during that stage. And if the queen leaves and she isn't laying eggs, there's no larva, that, that interrupts the varroa's life cycle and decreases the population. So it may help. A little bit. may yeah. help a little yeah. bit yeah. Uh, uh, interrupt that cycle and keep your varroa population down and your bees health, healthier. 
But if yeah. they're on the move, I guess I'm just thinking it seems like they are more likely to run into folks who, who want to kill them. And if that's the yeah. queen, doesn't that then jeopardize that whole colony? Or mm-hmm. Before like, she leaves, uh, before a queen leaves uh, in a swarm, they'll make queen cells, repla- replacement queens. And that they can um, have her lay an egg in a queen cell, and they will feed that um, larva of the queen cell royal jelly. They have a gland in their head, the worker bees, by eating pollen, they can produce royal jelly. And that's what's fed to that queen larva and also as a queen adult. And that, but but only, she, to that, only to that queen larva? Well, the, the, um, the other larva, the workers mm-hmm. and drones, yeah. also get a little bit of royal jelly. Uh-huh. Just a little bit. Just a little? <laughs> okay. Just a little bit. <laughs> okay. But the queen gets lots. I like to see lots of royal jelly in that queen cell when I see it. So there's replacement ones for when she takes off. At that stage, you're fighting a swarm. You know, it's hard to stop them from swarming. Mm-hmm. And that, but once she leaves in that swarm, we try to catch her and put her in a new hive. That's uh, increase our population of hives we have. But also, what happens with it? It helps with the bromite cut because um, that cell takes um, from queen from egg to hatch is 16 days. And then we have to wait. About 10 days, um, well, five days for her to mature enough to fly. And then when she goes on her mating flight, you got about three days there. And then it's about 10 days after she hatches that she starts laying eggs. So you've got a real interruption mm-hmm. in the bromites um, reproducing there. Mm-hmm. They only reproduce in the cells of the um, bees, is the thing, um, larva stage of the bee. So that helps. But um, the big mm. problem with the, when they swarm, you get less honey off of them. If you're wanting to get honey off your hives, you're going to get less that year. Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, it, but, and you got to make sure the queen, new queen is laying good, too. Mm-hmm. I, I always tell people, beekeepers, keep an eye on your queens. If she's not doing her job, it's off with her head and put a new queen in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. If, yeah. I, if I was yeah. just to, to go, you know, if I was, you took me all equipped and everything, I'm looking at the, you know, how am I going to identify the queen? Would it be easy for me to identify? I queen? always tell people look for eggs. If there's uh-huh. eggs, there's a queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's and a lot different. It takes a little while to kind of spot her, but once you notice her, you won't yeah. mistake her. Uh-huh. They're a lot, a lot bigger. Her. Yeah, she's okay. bigger. Oh. Yeah. and some people mark them. Yeah, yeah so, so we we know that's the queen. We put them in there. Yeah, put okay. in there. Yeah. It's a lot like playing Where's Waldo. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. yeah, they're good at hiding though. And, yeah, and then, like Jennifer says, some people mark them to make it easier. I think this year's color is white or something, and and people. People mark them with a little white dot on their back to make them easier to spot in the hive. All right, we're going to go to the phone. So uh, Sharon is calling in from Greensburg. Sharon, go ahead. Hi, thank you. Nice to uh, talk with all of you. I'm calling because I want to know if there's any activity in uh, groups or individuals who support beehives through um, helping maybe defray the cost or the expenses of it. Um, or if there are any advice lists for plants, for gardeners uh, that are uh, bee-friendly plants that are maybe native to the state. Thank you so much for taking my call. All right, Sharon, thank you. Who wants to try that? Uh, Roger, as far as uh, bee-friendly plants, if you just do a, a Google search or something, you can come up with all kinds of hits on uh, resources. Even Indiana, probably your I, the I've DNR got a probably. list. Yeah, I have a list for bees. Mm-hmm. Um, in Paul, uh, Indiana Native Plant, I can't remember, Association, they have um, a list of native plants. Um, mm-hmm. I have on DNR, Division of Entomology, you'll find a list of um, gardening for bees. There will be a list mm-hmm. of plants. And I try to plant, um, put a, what they will produce for the bees and when they bloom, too. And the big thing with bees, and native bees also, and any of the pollinators, we need something blooming all the time, spring through fall. And the biggest time we need something blooming is really July into August. Yeah, in the hot summer months. Once, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And there's a, some native ones. Um, one of my favorite during that time is um, Joe Pieweed, Ironweed. They're they're tall though, you know. They get five to six feet tall, so you gotta have you know get them up there. And then, mm-hmm. and uh, um, 
Leatris is another one that blooms at that time. Coneflower is a great one. Mm-hmm. Buckwheat. 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 You really yeah. love buckwheat. Buckwheat, buckwheat in the yeah. fall is my favorite. It makes yeah. a real dark honey, honey that's a yeah. little bit on the on like molasses. Uh, yeah. Some people really like it. Some don't like it. But I happen it's really good. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah. Let's talk about honey for for a minute because you know you. Honey seems to be one of those foods that you go into a store now, and it's really kind of a specialty food, and you get all kinds of buckwheat honey you're talking about, yeah, I guess. buckwheat, yeah. Clover yeah. honey and, I mean, all sorts of different kinds of things. So you talked about, Roger, you took 50 pounds of honey already? Yeah. 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 So yeah. what's a typical year for you with the highs well, you have? Uh, zero has been the typical <laughs> year in, in the past. Uh, and when you're starting out, it, it, you're, you're – usually just basically trying to build your colony up mm-hmm. and, and uh, get it to the point where it's going to make it through the winter. That's your yeah. goal the first year, pretty mm-hmm. much. And if you get honey, it's mainly kind of a miracle or a real blessing anyway. Mm-hmm. And then the second year, they do better. This is my third year, and I finally got my point, my colony to a critical mass, I guess, enough that, wow, everything just came together and the weather is, you know, out of our yeah. control. But when the weather's good, you get a good honey flow, lots of uh, nectar coming in, then that's just a bonus. Bonus, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, yeah it, you just you just don't know. You don't know how your colony is going to, how healthy it is, how good the population, how like Kathleen said, how many times it's going to swarm, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the, the weather and, and all that. So it, it's, it's just, you just never know. Well, again, so for my elementary, I'm, you know, I'm, honey, I'm trying yeah. to learn about this. So, so you talked about how bees are making the honey so to help sustain them for the yeah. year. So how do you know when to take honey off and how do you know whether you've taken you've left enough for them to be able to to survive the winter? The weight of the the, the high, yeah. And hive, Roger has you. brilliantly built a little Scale, scale, hive scale. I bought a little portable hive scale. Yeah, you put the um, hive on the scale, and it'll tell you how how heavy it is, and you'll see it go up and down during the season too. Mm -hmm. Is the funny thing, but um, by um, fall, September, I always say late September, you want it pretty heavy. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, taking off honey, we want to take off capped honey. They when they put it in the comb. They'll put it in there, dry it out. They have a way to dry in it. And once it's just right, they cap it over. The moisture is 18% or less is what we ideal moisture of honey. It gets higher than that. It can ferment or crystallize real fast is the thing. But 18%, they cap it. We can pull it out at that stage mm-hmm. and that, and then do it from there. And that's why we're taking off honey now. They're already capping honey, so we can take it off, extract it, throw it right back on the hive for them to fill up again. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> and that, but um, different types of honey also is the different types of plants. Mm-hmm. Like black locust honey will be really light and have a unique taste. It won't be as sweet, uh, sugary sweet as clover honey. Um, the white clover is blooming right now. Um, be, I've mm-hmm. seen some bees on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. As long as we get rain, that white clover in your yards will bloom and a good source for bees. Um, some people, a lot of beekeepers are starting to raise buckwheat. You know, if they have some property, they put buckwheat in there just to um, produce buckwheat honey for the bees. That's all the reason why they're growing mm-hmm. it is for the bees. And then um, I know Hunter's Honey, he, he has a farmer that grows buckwheat and um for the grain and he gets buckwheat honey there he puts his hives near that and gets some honey off that it's real dark honey so it deep um the later the season is we get darker honey um our um august september honey is a darker honey it's a um amber color honey is what we call it and goldenrod and goldenrod that, is goldenrod dark is good. Yeah. yeah it crystallizes up fast though goldenrod mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. So I yeah. keep getting hung up on this number, 44% of colonies lost in the last mm-hmm. year. So mm-hmm. what are some things, is it possible to turn that trend around? We're trying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can we restore the number of bees? Do we need as many as we used to have? That must be nationwide, I guess. Nationwide, I think yes. I belong to a number of clubs in the area, and it seems like locally here anyway, I, I don't know, you know more than I would maybe, Kathleen, but uh, locally it doesn't seem to be that high in, in this area from the people in our clubs. To what they yeah, are our winter loss wasn't that high um, we lost a lot last fall mm. um, there's guys losing them in October and November and it might be because of varroa mites well, the population got high enough of varroa mites in the hive they pass on viruses to the bees 
and you're, you're getting chewed on and sucked on by these varroa mites, and then you got viruses, and you're hatching out with deformed wings and can't do your job. You know, so we have to keep that varroa mite population down too. And then loss of habitat, and there's not enough food out there. Um, we're also weather-oriented. Bees are very weather-oriented. If we don't get enough rain in August and September, those um, that goldrod and aster do not produce um, nectar and pollen that the bees need for the fall. A couple of years I've seen, oh my gosh, start feeding your bees, be people. We can feed them sugar water to supplement them to get some more um, supplies in there before they can get it through the winter. We want about 60 to 80 pounds, I like closer to 80 pounds of honey for they have for the winter. So we don't take it all. We have mm -hmm. to leave a lot back for the bees. And I yeah. think shows like this help <clears throat> gain interest. The more people that get bees, you know, the better it's going to be. And we heard last night at the bee meeting that mm -hmm. bees are apparently the new chickens. So that's <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of beekeepers with chickens that. and bees. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. funny. All right. If you have a question yeah. or a comment, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So this awareness, does this give you hope that we're saving the bees or like these diseases? I mean, are we having well, any we've got lots fixing more research. Her, the research she's doing here in, in Bloomington helps too. Um, a, a healthy gut, healthy bee will, you know, be healthy and prosperous. The thing, you know, the colony will be healthy is the thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think there's a lot of problems. Everyone always asks, you know, what's the, the main issue? But I think it's really a combination of factors. Exactly. That's why it's yeah. so yeah. hard yeah. to solve the problem. And yeah. so, you know, there's climate change, habit, habitat change. Also, the commercial bees are getting, you know, like high fructose corn syrup. syrup. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Their, their diets are changing, which might change their, their gut microbiome. Yeah. Which yeah. Might change the monoculture so. they're on. Yeah. 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 yeah, not the diversity of pollen and nectar they're getting. So. Yeah, we're looking at nutrient nutrition for the bees even. <laughs> for nutrition for humans and yeah. they're doing it with bees too but uh, yeah i think yeah. more hives are important i think getting you know local you know people got, backyard bees we've got a big increase of beekeepers uh, hobby beekeepers because of all this mm -hmm. um information we also get more research money for federal research money for mm -hmm. this problem too yeah. and yeah. Uh, one of our things our beekeeping clubs are trying to do is encourage people to, to obtain and keep local queens mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. have been bred and raised locally within the area of the state of Indiana or nearby so that they've shown that they can go through the winter, they're adaptable, they're hardy, they're used to the climate and the weather and uh, and just I th we just feel that they're better than the the queens of the bees that are shipped in from maybe California or Georgia, Georgia yeah. uh, since they're Southern locally States, adapted yeah. to the to our winters and our weather here. So we we just, we're all trying to do that. We're sharing bees and sharing <laughs> queens and swarms and everything else, trying to encourage the uh, local population to stay strong. All right, we have a phone call from uh, Martinsville, and it's Martin who's in Martinsville. <laughs> Go ahead. Hi, uh, I just have a question about uh, different kinds of honey and also kind of relating to um, the feeding of the bees. Okay. Um, and that's the, when I lived in Germany for a couple of years, they had, of course, uh, Germany has very vibrant honey culture. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, one, one of my favorite honeys that I ate there was called oak forest honey. And apparently it was a honeydew honey. Mm. And the, the, the bees would actually go and eat the, uh, what I believe was actually the... Uh, the byproduct from like um, aphids, uh, other smaller yeah. insects, yeah, aphids and things mm, like aphids, that. Aphids, yeah. Um, and and it, I mean, it was just the most delicious honey that I've ever had, pretty much. But uh, I was wondering if if that is ever produced here in the states or in Indiana in particular, and if things like that can be a substitute for uh, for like flowers uh, in in the late summer in particular, uh, if the forests are a, a, a good uh, food source for the bees with the honeydew from the aphids since we have this wonderful hardwood forests here. Well, they can help. I know some guys say they are going to get um, honeydew. Mm. We'd rather get them from the flowers, I think. Um, but um, we don't, you know, our hardwoods are limited. We are trying to get more hardwood forest out there, you know, and, and you want a variety in those forests sometimes too. 
So you put them by forest, you might get some honeydew. We can't say for sure it's all honeydew, though. That's the thing, right. you know. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have unique, you know, if you buy woods, you know, forests, you'll ha- your honey will taste different than if you're by um, cor- all fields or in us um, Indianapolis, let's say. The, the honey will taste a little difference in the, each um, environment because of what the bees can go to and that. So um, that's a big thing. But we won't have the old oak wood forest um, honey that they have in Germany. Because, you know, we cut them down and we're rebuilding. <laughs> that's the thing is. Uh, that's a big thing with you know yeah who knows where they go they fly what a three to five mile radius of the hive generally yeah. going in search of nectar and pollen so mm-hmm. they could go anywhere and, and you know that's yeah. one of the difficulties of people trying to claim they have organic honey if you will that you, you don't know where they went and if the flower or the plant they visited happened to be treated with some pesticide or herbicide or something like that. So it's really difficult, I think, to maintain you've got organic honey, yeah. even though you may not treat your hives with anything, any synthetic chemicals. You just It's really hard to claim that. Organic, mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, every, every state will have different honey, too. You know, you go down to Florida, the big thing is the Tulupo. Tupelo. Tupelo honey, yeah, thank you. And the orange blossom honey, you know, right. that's the big thing down there. We don't have those up here. They don't grow in our, our climate, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And so you get different things, you know. Um, one beekeeper, he started um, his company with the idea of getting blueberry blossom honey. So the bee, beekeeper moves them into the blueberry field as they're blooming and he pulls off the honey as soon as the blueberry blossoms are done he can label as blueberry blossom honey that will taste different than if you you collected it some other time during Mm -hmm. the season so you know they just get um here you know so you know there's cranberry honey too you put them in the cranberry fields and get honey off of them then then too and that will have a different taste too so here sometimes, as I said, um, in the spring we get them from the um, basswood, which is a linden, and the black locust, and it's a real light honey. During the summer we'll get clover honey, which is a light honey. But if you leave it on and take off your honey in August, it'll be darker, and it could be multiple um, places where you got your honey from. Mm-hmm. And that's a really yeah, great thing so for allergies. Yeah, if you for get, allergies. Yeah, yeah. The, whatever it is that okay. the honey is the source from, it's going to really help that in the pollen. The pollen, Local especially honey. if you don't filter it, mm-hmm. then all the pollen that's inside of the honey and all the properties of the honey will help you yeah, combat yeah. the allergies. Okay, so that was, that's Jennifer Bland from the, the Virtuous Bee, and I wanted to go back to Jennifer and ask about some of the products that, you know, are made yeah. with honey and, you know, why and you know, why you've created a business out of it. Honey and beeswax are two of the most amazing materials on the earth. That and coconut oil. Those are the three (laughs) things that I could live off of forever. (laughs) They have their humectants, their antifungals, their antibacterial, their anti-aging, cellular renewal. It's just, it's, it goes on and on and on. And I, I've played around with different things. I've got um, balms, like a salve mm-hmm. that is for different uses. I've got body butters that's super moisturizing. There's a lot of properties that I haven't marketed them as because, like sunscreen. Mm-hmm. I can't say that they have a sunscreen mm-hmm. to them because I yeah. haven't tested it for that. But each of the individual properties, beeswax on its own has a natural sunscreen, as does honey, as does coconut oil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've tried them on in so many different ways. I put it, my husband had... Um, poison ivy and he rubbed his eyes mm-hmm. and there's mm. not very many things that you can put on your eyes so I handed him you know <coughs> one of my body butters and he put some on his eyelids and he came home from work and it was gone mm-hmm. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so you know, it's like I said pretty exhaustive what all the properties are of beeswax and honey okay yeah. we have about uh, 10 minutes to go a little less than 10 minutes if you have a, a, a last question you can slide it in here on the program today 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington area wfiu.org slash noon edition is where you can join the live chat and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition and Kaylee you were talking about this whole list of things that's contributing to the decline in honeybees we did a piece this week I don't know if you did too Bob about pesticides sort of in your backyard 
that mm-hmm. people had not thought about. Yeah, can, so that's some of the stuff we've already been talking about is that, you know, you don't really know where the bees are going. And mm-hmm. so they can travel to any types of flowers. So it might not, you might not treat the flowers in your backyard, but, you know, the bees are going to go travel to someone else that might be using pesticides and then, you know, bring that back to the hive. And those are their food sources. So it just kind of gets you know around in the hive uh, well big thing homeowners follow the label <laughs> treat how they say they'll treat because the thing is they say homeowners use more pesticides than farmers do you know or, or misuse it is the misuse it you know they over um, use it is what it is mm-hmm. okay uh, that's a big thing but yeah um if you got some bugs on your um your plants um sometimes the plants will take care of it outgrow the um chewing bug is a thing but um, there's other bugs you just have to watch what you spray on your your plants i hate seven powder for sure because the bees can get in that stuff when you sprinkle it on your um, plant especially on the flowers if it's on the flowers you're going to get bees to it native bees honey bees any kind of pollinator that wants to visit that flower and it's it's uh, powder they can get it on their hairs on their bodies and then, and then when they clean themselves they eat the the pesticide but yeah um you just have to watch your uh, pesticides mm-hmm. and um those nice green lawns like a little clover in my life <laughs> <laughs> did you happen to see that the latest article i can't remember where it was from bee culture or something where they did a study it might have been in england i don't know if it was here where they found 30 different pesticides and and uh herbicides in in uh, pollen samples there. oh yeah yeah. yeah, I don't remember if it was that one specifically, yeah. but yeah, it was way more than people expected. Yeah, it was yeah. huge. I was surprised yeah. that they were finding all those extra yeah. extra types in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you all looked at all into cell phones and if those play oh. a role? Yeah, I don't think no. so. No. Yeah, well, we heard that one, Colony Collapse Disorder, first came about. <laughs> yeah, it was oh, a I didn't, cell phone towers. A, yeah. So that, I, yeah, I don't know. I've yeah. not even heard this. So what was this? <laughs> Some weird rumor? The, the yeah. wave wavelengths from the cell phone you know was um interrupting their flight patterns and i guess having power lines i've got power lines above my hives and it hasn't affected affected them but then i saw it actually could maybe help i saw a thing where they use this small amount of electromagnetic field from a plant to gauge how they're coming in as to instead of looking at it that's what they use to gauge like (laughs) off it bounces off their little hairs Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's how they use like to navigate. So maybe yeah. it's helpful to help them find home if I have <laughs> the power lines. <laughs> you know, Jennifer mentioned a little while ago the benefits of honey, and, and I probably should qualify that in terms of used natural honey from local mm-hmm. beekeepers here mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. has not been heated, has not been super yes. filtered, and it has nothing else in it besides honey. That's the good stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of the little bears and things like that <laughs> you find in the store, mm-hmm. not so good. Okay. I always it's, say look for um, your honey near the produce, not by the peanut butter and jelly. Because yeah. yeah. it could be... Well, it's more local honey could be by from the produce. countries that have you know use pesticides and herbicides that are it could be laced with that it could be mostly sugar water you're and you're paying for honey yeah. so support your local people around here <laughs> the farmer's market or in the store that are selling pure natural unheated unfiltered honey all right we have another call this one's from bloomfield so carl go ahead yeah good afternoon my name is paul here in bloomfield indiana this is my second year of keeping bees And one of the things that I realized early on is that I needed to control Varroa mite, and I started using a product called oxalic acid. I don't know if you guys have talked about that. I come come in halfway. No, we didn't um, touch on the treatments for Mm -hmm. Varroa mites. There's several treatments Mm -hmm. is the thing. Roger, why don't you go ahead. Uh, I've been experimenting with it for quite a while. I've actually uh, made my own vaporizers, uh, homemade ones, and, and I'm on my third prototype now. And uh, I think I'm finally getting it down, but the idea is you put some uh, oxalic acid, which is essentially wood bleach, in, and heat it up to about 380 degrees Fahrenheit, and it sublimates into a, a gas, which is mostly formic acid. And I'm not sure they know how it kills the mites or not, but they think it's such small particles that it clogs their breathing tubes. And the, the bees' are, tubes are big enough that it doesn't, uh, doesn't affect the bees at all. So it kills the mites that are on the bees. It doesn't kill the mites that are in the cells, the cap larvae and things like that. So it's, 
you have to do multiple treatments over a period of time for it to really be effective, I think. Yeah. And so, the label says honey supers have to be off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. Carl, thanks. Anything else? Nope, that's good. Thank you very much. All right. Fun. Thank you. Okay, we have, we have two minutes to go, so I want each of you to give 30 seconds. Last thing you want people to know about, you know, bees, <laughs> anything we missed or anything you want to reiterate. I just say, uh, if you're interested in bees, support your local uh, beekeeping clubs. We have a, a nice club here in Bloomington called the Bee Town Bee Club, and there's also White River Beekeepers and Spencers. So if you have questions about bees or want to learn about bees sure. or get started in bees, please uh, go to one of those and, and, and please attend. Okay, thanks, Roger. Something we've Kayla? said already a couple times, but don't kill bees. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't call an exterminator. You know, keep them safe. Mm -hmm. We need them to pollinate our plants. And, and uh, if you like fruit and, and almonds... <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you support your, your honeybees. All right. Jennifer? If you have ever even considered for a half a second getting bees, do it because it you, you can never learn enough. It's You become super passionate about it. It's the best thing I've ever done. All right. <laughs> Kathleen, 30 yeah. seconds. Um, big thing is they... Is, some of what they say, go to a local, um, new beekeepers, go to a local club. The beekeepers will help you out. We do not have anything there where we'll get you the beehive and the equipment. You have to pay for that yourself. Mm -hmm. But the local clubs is a way to learn and talk to other beekeepers and find out. They have field days where you go in the hives. There's a state association where we're coming up with a meeting that we're going to be going in the hives. That's how you learn. And if, if you, you're really interested, um, go to a club and ask, see mm. if you can go with a beekeeper. Okay. And That's in a hive. All right. Yeah. We're going to gonna have to shut this off. <laughs> but I want to thank Jennifer Bland uh, from the Virtuous Bee, Roger Lee, a local beekeeper, Kathleen Pro from the Indiana DNR, and Kayla Miller, a graduate assistant in the Newton Lab at IU, for producers Sophia Salaby and J.D. Gray, also engineer Mike Pashkash and Sarah Whitmire. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.